welcome back to the Live the Legacy podcast, a project brought to you by the Andrew Goodman Foundation. I'm your host, Mo Banks, and believe it or not, this is the last episode of season three. I hope that you've enjoyed it just as much as I have, um, that you've learned a thing or two, maybe become curious about something. Um, But yeah, thank you for joining us for the season. Uh, We have a really cool episode to end the season with. I'm actually sitting down with two AGF staff members, and we're talking all about the power um, that HBCUs play in getting out the vote and how the Andrew Goodman Vote Everywhere uh, program is actually helping support their efforts. Um, So today I am joined by Gabrielle Slaughter. Gabrielle is the HBCU lead program manager here at the Andrew Goodman Foundation, and she's also a graduate of Spelman College. She's passionate about dancing, social justice, and public interest, and we are so excited to have her on today's episode. I'm also joined by Caroline Smith. Caroline is the Director of Programs at the Andrew Goodman Foundation, and she's a proud Jersey girl who is now living in Washington, D.C. She has spent multiple years organizing with young students across college campuses, and this is her third year at AGF. She's excited to continue working with young organizers across the country to institutionalize civic and voter engagement. I'm really excited about their interview and I hope that y'all enjoy it. Thank you again for spending this season with us. Without further ado, here's my interview with Gabrielle and Caroline. Hello, Mo. This is Gabrielle Slaughter. My colleagues call me Gabby. I'm the lead program manager, HBCU strategist at the Andrew Goodman Foundation. I've been working at AGF for almost three years now. Um, I started in 2020 and I reside in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Shout out to Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for being here with us today, Gabby. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And it's a special episode because we're joined by somebody else. Who else is here with us today? Hello, this is Caroline Smith. I use she, her pronouns. I am currently calling from my childhood bedroom in New Jersey, but home for the weekend. But normally I would be in DC and I'm the director of programs at AGF and started on the same day as Gabby. Yeah, we all kind of started at the same time. It was like a cute moment. And we have um, really been doing, I think a lot of cool work. There's been um, some things that we've had to overcome. I think, you know, across the board, I think our partner orgs would say the same thing, like COVID really threw things. um, It got pretty wild there for a while and trying to figure out how do we kind of, you know, what direction are we taking this in? But as a team, I feel like we have really um, gotten to know each other and we've really been supportive of each other's work. And it's cool to get to spend this time with the both of you in like a new and kind of unique and hopefully fun way. Um, so I'm excited and I'm very grateful that both of you, um, agreed to do this with me. So, you know, I remember before I got hired hearing for the first time, the story of Andrew Goodman, James Earl Cheney, and Michael Schwerner. I remember the impact that it had on me and, um, the motivating drive, I think for me to really do this work. And since this is the live the legacy podcast, I do love to start pretty much every episode that we've had this season by talking about the legacy of those three men and the impact that it had on you. So Caroline, I'll start with you this time. Do you remember like the first time you heard that story? And if so, um, you know, how did it impact you? Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly. I think that it was probably when I was applying for jobs, um, you know, soon before I started here and I was getting into kind of the world of 
voting rights and civil rights history. And so um, I think a friend sent me Andrew Goodman Foundation website and some job postings. And so I kind of uncovered the story through our own website, which now full circle, I <laughs> help with. Um, so yeah, I, it definitely struck a chord with me. Just, I think it, you know, civil rights history and the seventies for young folks like us, sixties, seventies feels so far away, but it's really not. And so reading the story and, um, seeing how that work has carried on, I think really kind of brought home, like how, recent all of this work is and how ongoing it is yeah totally um you know i i've shared i think before on the podcast that that was the first time i'd heard the story as well was doing Mm -hmm. research so um it's it's always really interesting to see how how that has you know the power that it has to have you know you're stopping in the middle of searching for jobs and you see this story and you're like oh that that's meaningful that that kind of tugged at something in me. I want to, I want to learn a little bit further. You, Gabby, did you have the same experience or did, how did you heard this story before? Um, I actually did hear the story before. Um, I can't remember being at a museum with my parents. I don't know what museum it was. I wish I could remember, but I remember my dad saw like a picture of James Cheney, Michael Schorner and Andrew Goodman. And he told me this story. Um, and I really, it wasn't that significant. I mean, it was, it was significant of course, but it wasn't as significant until I was at Spelman and I saw the Andrew Goodman foundation and I became an ambassador. So then it became like even more significant for me, especially because I have roots in Mississippi. So that's kind of what intrigued my dad to even tell me about the story to begin with. Um, since like my family's from there, things like happening in Mississippi or that happened there are significant for us. And when I started working here, I actually asked my grandfather about it. Like, do you remember when that happened? Um, he said that he did. He said that it happened like barely like 200 miles from the, my family's hometown. So they all like remember it happening and the significance behind it and um, just the climate uh, during that time. I, th- I feel like my grandparents and my family's legacy is a lot of the reason why I even wanted to work for AGF. Um, I feel like we're going to get in that, into that later. So I'm going <laughs> to stop right there. But yes, that was the first time I heard the story. And it was very impactful for me because it connected to my story so directly. Yeah, yeah. You, you're like making these segues real easy, Gabby. Um, <laughs> you're setting me up really nice for this next <laughs> But I appreciate you sharing some of your personal connection to the story. Um, you know, part of the reason I ask is I'm just curious how people learn um, about this history. This wasn't something that I was taught in in my school. It wasn't something that was a part of my education. And uh, it's been a little bit interesting because I had one of my kids came home from school the other week and we're like, Hey, we learned about Andrew Goodman and Michael Schwerner and James Cheney. And she was like, and I remember, I remember who that was because his face looked familiar because I have this like pullover and she's like, I think you work there or something. And I was like, yeah, that's literally what I do. <laughs> And so, <laughs> no, that's hilarious. That. She's <laughs> about it in school. I didn't get to. So I'm just, I'm curious. And, you know, kind of like I said, you know, we, we want to make sure that what we're doing here is, is continuing that legacy that we, that we have, a, I think we have a little bit of responsibility for continuing that le- the legacy as people who work, you know, for the Andrew Goodman Foundation. And so I just, I appreciate both of you sharing your stories. But again, like the perfect setup kind of, um, Gabby, that you gave me for transitioning into this next question, which is, you know, what, 
what motivates the both of you? And you both work um, at an organization whose mission is to make young voices and votes a powerful force in democracy. Specifically, you know, we do focus on the young, the young people, the young voters. So what is your personal motivation? And um, I'll, I'll send it over to Gabby first this time. I would say that my personal motivation, like I was saying earlier, would be like my family um, and their story. Um, yes, it's for like democracy as a whole, but specifically for like HBCUs. My grandfather and his five siblings all attended HBCUs in the 40s, which is just so mind blowing to me because of the climate, like growing up in Mississippi, um, like one of the most racist states in the country um, and having so many challenges while growing up, like my grandparents and his siblings, they all have their last names spelled differently just because of racism. Like they would, they didn't want a family to be so powerful and to be so educated and strong. It just wasn't um, something that people wanted to see during that time so like to be able to rise above all of that and still get a degree in such a crazy time is just so amazing to me and it like really um instilled that drive in me to continue to attend to to attend HBCU and to work to continue to support them for like as much as I can as long as I can um it's just been a blessing truly um and yeah that's kind of where my what motivates me to work at AGF and to show up here every day, I mean, virtually, but <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's very powerful to have a story like that behind. And when I was younger, I really didn't know, like I wasn't, wasn't very intentional in attending an HBCU until I learned about my, my family's history. Then it was like, wow, like I'm meant to be here. There was a reason I was sent here because I didn't know what I was doing when I chose Spelman, but I'm so glad that I did um, because it was able to just like, lay a foundation for me to be able to understand students' experiences, the students that I work with now. Um, so yeah, that's what motivates me to work for AGF. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you kind of live in your own legacy, you know, you're living the legacy of your grandfather and the, you know, the family that came before you. And now you get to kind of live that out. That's really cool. I appreciate you sharing such a personal mm -hmm. story and what motivates you. Um, Carolyn, what about you? Let's what is motivating you to make young voices and votes a powerful force in our democracy? Yeah. Um, wow. I do not want to follow Gabby's answer. That was so beautiful. <laughs> I love <laughs> getting the chance to hear this from you, Gabby. So thank you for that. Um, I guess I'll say for myself, I like since even being a young kid have always been like an anxious soul, like truly stay up late worrying about something that I hear, whether it's like one person's story or something that I read in the news. Um, and I just like care very deeply about issues and people's experiences and the state of the world. And it can feel really debilitating for me, I think, and easy to feel kind of stuck and not know what my place in it is. And so working at an organization that gets at kind of the principles of like community engagement, not, and, you know, then, young folks can take those principles and apply them to any number of issues that affect them personally or that motivate them um, just feels like a really good place to, to set down roots and to, you know, put my energy, like there is so much hope in young people and um, just getting down to like the basics of why we engage and like how, how we build movements together is really motivating and um 
feels like it's kind of getting at all of the things out there that, you know, worry me and, um, and that we need to tackle in the world. So that's what it is for me. Yeah. I, I relate to that, that anxiousness of feeling like there's so much, um, what, what could we possibly be doing to stop any of it or change any of it? And, um, it's, it's been kind of cool to find a little bit of some footing, I think, in the work that we've, we've been trying to do. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hopefully we're making, you know, a a positive impact in the, in the things that we, we deeply care about, which we'll get into here in a little bit, but Gabby, you mentioned, um, going to the HBCU, you mentioned that your, you know, the title that you have here at AGF is, um, the coordinator, coordinator for the HBCU, um, cohort. And I know that you've written this beautiful piece, which I'll link to in the show notes, about um, you know the power of the divine nine and in the role that HBCUs play and the for fighting for voting rights and for helping young people get out the vote. So, in your own words, you know what do you see? What's the unique role that HBCUs play um, in the fight for voting rights and for getting out the vote? I would say that the role that HBCUs have played in that has been significant for many years. Um, I can think about specific situations in civil rights history, like in North Carolina, where they were sitting in at lunch counters. Those were North Carolina A&T students or just the significance of Martin Luther King Jr. attending Morehouse College. The different movements that have started and taken place on these campuses, I think, has always been very significant. And that kind of motivate students to continue that work like when you have a history like that of like what you mentioned racism in voting rights and in laws that motivates students on campus to actually want to get out the vote get out the students to vote um do what they can to change like legislations to make it easier for students to vote on their campuses and just make people more aware of the barriers that exist for not only like young people but for Black young people, um, especially students who attend HBCUs, like in Georgia, we know that students with private um, IDs or who attend private institutions cannot use their ID to vote. So that is like a big barrier that's stopping uh, students from having a big of an impact as they could. Um, I know that the amount of HBCUs that are in Georgia, there could be a much bigger impact in these elections, but barriers like that hold us back, but like we're continuing to fight for them. So I think that that is just the significance of that just shows you how powerful we are if someone is trying to stop that from happening. So yeah, I think that that is the the motivating factor, just like the history behind everything. Students knowing that and knowing that they have the power that their ancestors didn't to make a change. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, how are some ways that like you're supporting, you know, the Andrew Gum ambassadors who are on these campuses? Like, what does that look like? Um, you know, on a, I, I guess like a day to day, week to week, monthly basis. Um, what does it look like for for them to be getting so some support um, with the resources that maybe we we have at AGF? Um, it looks like having someone like me to motivate them consistently and just. Knowing that I've been in their shoes, I just have to remind them, like, to be graceful with themselves. Like, I feel like there's also a notion on some of these campuses that you have to be, like, so amazing and so perfect. 
And I just want to give them, like, extend them that grace and give them room to, like, make mistakes and to learn how to do things because I don't feel like I gave myself that grace when I was on the campus um, and trying to do these things. Like, it would just be, you run into so many barriers sometimes. It's just, like, it's easier just to give up or you just don't feel like you can actually make a difference. So I just try and be, like, that listening ear to them and give them the support and tell them about the lessons that I learned when I was a student. Um and how to like work through things and just don't make things more difficult than they have to be and extend themselves grace while they're on campus because they're trying to be normal students at the end of the day while still trying to tackle something that's so challenging. So yeah, it just has to be a balance. So I try to be that balance for them. I bet that's such an invaluable resource. Um, what an incredible thing to be able to provide. And, you know, I, I often ask, when I sit down with ambassadors this season to to talk to them, I'm like, what, how do you do it? Like, how do you, how are you going to college and still finding time to not only like be interested in politics and voting and getting your peers signed up, but then actually doing work to make a difference. Um, so I, th- I bet it's just really incredible to have somebody who um, can remind them that like they do have power and that it's okay that things aren't going well and that you can adjust and try something new and learn from somebody who's been there before. You, you mentioned that you were an ambassador at Spelman, right? Yes. Yeah. How, how many years were you an ambassador? I was only an ambassador for one year. I didn't really find out about AGF until like I was entering my senior year. So it was like the spring semester of my junior year. That's when I like interviewed and stuff. And then I went to NCLTS the summer before my senior year. So yeah, it was only one year, but it was, it was great. It was very impactful for me. Um, It helped to kind of, it helped for me to see that I could do this beyond college, um, that there was like a whole different world that I hadn't really considered because I was very much trying to learn. I was a political science major, so I was trying to experience like every possible career that I could post-grad like during my matriculation. So like I did interning with like an, an innocence project. I did interning at the district attorney's office. I interned for Senator Kane on the Hill one summer. So I was just really trying to get different experiences so that I could see like what I would like the most. Um, and I was an Andrew Goodman ambassador as well. So all these experiences helped to shape like what I to see myself doing. And when I found, when I saw that AGF was hiring and I spoke with our former um, executive director on the phone, it just felt like the perfect match. Like it was like, wow, I didn't even think that this would be, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was considering law school, but at the same time, it didn't feel like right for me. So yeah, it just ended up being perfect that I ended up at AGF when I did. Yes. And we have loved you being here. (laughs) So glad it all worked out. Um, you know, I think so, yes, we often talk about like some misconceptions around like youth voters in general. Um, and that's something that we've worked pretty hard this season to debunk some of the myths around youth voters. And, you know, I ask folks like if you anybody listening right now, what, what would you want to tell them? So I think this is another unique opportunity. There's I think there's a lot of misconceptions around HBCUs and the role that they play in the voting rights um, kind of sector and in democracy in general. So what, if anything, do you want the audience to know about? HBCUs and the power that they have to impact our democracy? I feel like the most important thing is that, um, well, one misconception that I would like to correct is that 
not all HBCUs lack like the infrastructure and the foundation to be able to get students out to vote. Because I know that when I entered Spelman in 2016, I had never seen like so the focus being on voting so much. Like they were giving out free t-shirts every week for like registering. They were really trying to get us out to vote. So I don't think that it it all lies within like the foundational structure for every school. Yes, that is the case for some schools, but not every school. There are bigger issues like what I mentioned earlier with the the um the voter IDs, like issues that make it kind of impossible for students to be able to vote and have their vote actually counted. Because I can also remember times when students were just extremely confused about how to vote, wanting to be able to vote but couldn't going to the polling office and being told you're at the wrong one or being told you could only use a provisional ballot. So there are a lot of like um, legislative issues that prevent HBCUs from turning out the way that they could. But I still feel like despite those things, there are still some outstanding campuses like North Carolina A&T University who has like literally record breaking numbers every year. Um, so yeah, I would, I would love for people to understand that the complexity behind, um, just getting out the vote on the HBCU campus and how different it is from a PWI. Yeah, absolutely. And PWI for our audience, um, who maybe don't know what that means is a primarily white institution, correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, am I right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it's a structural thing. It's it's not that that there's not these efforts or there's not um groups on campuses who are trying to get the word out about voting. It's that it's it's intentionally made hard on on HBCUs to vote. Um and if if nothing else, I hope that folks become more aware of that by listening to this and maybe can figure out ways to support um, the work that you and other people are doing to try to um, make a difference in, in getting out the vote for HBCU campuses. So thank you. Um, you know, Carolyn, I would just like to ask you kind of um, on a larger scale, what AGF is doing to actively support young people in our democracy. Um, I think maybe we could just start by telling folks what the Vote Everywhere program is, um, maybe kind of like how it started and, and and where it's at now and and how what we're doing, like what kind of like strategies and tactics that we're using to reach young people on college campuses and in their surrounding communities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Andrew Goodman Vote Everywhere program is, we call it our flagship program, um, and it evolved you know, as AGF pivoted from being a family foundation to a nonprofit kind of organizing network. Um, we started working with colleges and universities across the country, and it's grown enormously in the last several years, even since, you know, the three of us have been here in a couple of years. So as of right now, we work with 81 campuses across um, 26 states and D.C., and we provide financial and pro- programmatic and community support for students who we call Andrew Goodman ambassadors. And, you know, we're supporting them in developing and carrying out plans to break down structural barriers to youth voting and civic engagement more broadly. So Gabby has spoken about what that looks like on our HBCUs and that HBCU cohort is a part of the larger Vote Everywhere network. Um, And really our network provides 
community and it's like a treasure trove of things that have worked and things that haven't that we can build on and kind of draw connections across the country. Um, and so there's kind of the, the aspect where we're doing the peer to peer or supporting the peer to peer work on our campuses through kind of the usual visibility, like tabling, text banking, dorm storming events, but then also a big focus of ours is what we call institutionalization, which is really like how to get civic engagement and voter access permanently ingrained into higher ed institutions or other institutions. So um, I think like working with campuses provides a really unique opportunity where it's a big population of young voters all in one place. And there are these existing like communication channels and structures in place that we can tap into. So like using physical spaces on campuses as polling sites, which are often more accessible than, you know, other polling sites in um, in older spaces might be, or um, getting voter registration drop boxes in dorms or having civic engagement presentations incorporated into like first year classes or even, you know, entire curriculum. Um, and so that's a large part of the work that we're doing, kind of chipping away at those bigger picture things that will, you know, improve access, not just for the upcoming election season, but for years and years to come. Right. Yeah. Making it, baking it in, baking it into the recipe. That would be helpful. I think that's a more fun way to say institutionalization because that's a long and jargony word. But all we're trying to do is make it easier for people to access information and to access the ballot box on college campuses and in the surrounding communities. Because as somebody who has spent the majority of their life in a college town, a lot of life revolves around the college campus. And so, you know, there's been many years where my, my, the closest polling location was near or on a college campus location. So um, making those things more accessible and, um, I guess like ingrained into the whole system would be really helpful. So that's really cool um, that y'all are helping to make that happen. So what are some things that you're hearing um, that are motivating them, whether it's through the HBCU campus um, cohort, sorry, through the HBCU cohort or through the larger vote everywhere program as a whole, what are some things that are issues or um, passions or motivating factors that are taking young people from knowing about it and maybe seeing something on Instagram or seeing something on campus and then actually going and and doing it? Like what, what are some things that are motivating young people to get to the polls? We can pause and I will say it's okay to name issues like abortion, climate shit. None of that's too partisan. Yeah. Okay. And then you go. You want to go first, Caroline? Yeah, I can I can take a stab. <laughs> it's hard, you know, like we're speaking for so many people. I think that's what's cool about young voters is that the issues and motivations are so varied. Um, I think what something that separates young voters from maybe older generations is it's less about this is my sense anyway, it's less about um like an affiliation with a party or a candidate. And it's more about the issues that are affecting their lives in a day-to-day way. And I think for a lot of young folks, climate change 
is a big one. Um, you know, they're like the clock is truly ticking and people see that they, they have to engage because it's young people who are going to have to live the effects of what is unfolding in our country and our world. Um, and I think also people are starting to realize something that we haven't been great at as, um, a society is just kind of like educating around what local officials and, you know, what, how decisions actually get made. And I think, um, you know, young people are motivated by like who has the right to, um, or the, the power to like establish a police force or disband a police force or, you know, that's something that's been a topic a lot more in the last couple of years. And we talk about with our students a lot. Um, and you know, things like reproductive rights and, um, just any number of issues, but it's become increasingly clear that we, I don't, we've always known that we had power over these issues, but, um, people are, are realizing, you know, these are the positions that I can actually vote on and, you know, participate in the process and not stand for like what has been the status quo, you know, before. Yeah, absolutely. I think that what I heard you saying is that like, there are these massive issues that young folks care about that can sometimes seem a little overwhelming. And what's cool and unique about what we're seeing in young people right now is that they're actually learning and figuring out where they can make an impact. And it's not necessarily for this diehard party and they're always going to vote this way, but it's about like, this is stuff that we care about because it's, it's actually affecting us. Like it's not like some weird culture war that these old white guys on Capitol Hill are battling about. It's like, this is my life and it's affecting me. And how can I get involved, not just on a national scale, but like locally in my community to make even, even bigger impact. Um, is that, is that kind of the vibe that you're getting when you're talking to ambassadors? Yeah, absolutely. And people are, you know, having candidate forums and saying like, you know what, I actually hate what you said about <laughs> this, this part of my identity or my peers. And like, I'm, that's not okay with me. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to support that. Like, that's actually not just something that we have to accept and like allow in these elected positions. Like I'm going to vote you out or I'm going to, you know, hold a higher standard for these, these positions now. And I'm like, I can, I can actually see a young person taking office now. It doesn't have to be like this, you know, person with a certain kind of education or, you know, resume that we've always just kind of assumed. So I think that's, that's definitely something we're seeing a lot. Yeah. What about you, Gabby? Um, Caroline started us off. What are you, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? I would say I'm hearing similar things. Um, but I can also speak to when I was a student, since it wasn't that long ago. Um, I just remember how passionate other students were um, and how bold they were. Like Caroline was saying, they would say to the candidate's face, like, I don't like what she said. Um, and that was always just so astonishing to me to see, like, students actually voicing their opinions and voicing their feelings and actually getting being heard in some cases because for some reason, reason like candidates love to come to these colleges and they think it'll be all peaches and daisies until they get there and then 
it's like wow like y'all have a lot to say y'all have y'all are actually very aware of what's going on um so that was always very inspiring to me but i would say for our ambassadors specifically i think that they're just able to see the fruits of their labor um and that helps to motivate them um for example like with it, when they get the insol reports back and to see like how many students showed up um and the breakdown of everything like per class per major to see the way that students showed up and the the fact that their efforts actually had an impact, I think is very motivating for them. And that's kind of what AGF is here for, to remind them of that and to be able to show them or measure it, measure exactly what they're doing and show them like the work that you that you did actually had an impact on your peers. Um, and I um, am glad for organizations like Democracy All In for creating like awards just so they can really feel that their work was important and it made a difference. So I think that that's very important, just the acknowledgement for these students who are actually putting in the work every single day and to know that like it, it mattered. I always love to end things uh, with hope uh, just because there's so much, there's so much going on. Um, there's so many heavy things that uh, can often feel insurmountable. And so uh, one of the things that I've learned is that hope is a discipline. It's a choice. You can choose to find hope even when things feel incredibly dark. Um, so I love to in our episodes like that. What is, I don't know, what's something that's bringing y'all hope if it's like a silly meme that you saw recently or like, a great party you went to or you tried out some new recipe that you just like really threw down in the kitchen for or if it's something like you know on a larger scale like you get hope from seeing the direction in which youth are showing up at the polls or you're you're finding hope in the fact that we are electing more younger and diverse candidates for the first time um it can be a, a wide variety but just you kind of share what's what's been bringing y'all some hope recently and Again, open it up for whoever can think of an answer first. <laughs> I can go first. Yeah. Um, I would say what brings me hope is just seeing like ambassadors who have been around for years staying and seeing like hope in AGF, hope in me enough to want to maintain the relationship. That's very like amazing to me and just shows that there is an impact that is bigger than myself or bigger than AGF. Um, so that brings me a lot of hope. Like we've had some ambassadors who started as freshmen and have stuck it out and they're about to be seniors next year. So it's like, wow, like you believed in this enough to stay this long and to make this a part of your college experience. And I'm so honored to have been a part of that. So that brings me a lot of hope. Well, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing, Gabby. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, so I guess I'll say something different. Um, I, well, it's similar, but I'll just kind of broaden it a little bit just to, I have a lot of young people in my life. I feel like both from working at AGF, getting to work with folks in college, but then also like, you know, younger family members or, you know, my neighbor's kids who are like six, four and three or some, you know, something close to that. And I get a lot of hope from them just seeing how it feels like a scary world for them to be growing up in, but also that they are here and like knowing 
that they're going through the world with like a new set of language and tools that they can use to advocate for themselves and and for each other and um you know that they're not going to allow the same stuff to keep happening that that we've seen and that we've had to chip away at and it, the way that organizing just continues to to be passed down is really cool and hopeful to me. Well, before we end, are there any final thoughts, anything that y'all want the audience to know about the power of the youth vote? Anything else you want them to know about H- HBCUs or AGF in general? Anything that we didn't cover that y'all wanted to chat about before we, before we close out? If not, I no think, worries. I think you covered everything and thank you for the opportunity to yeah. speak on this. It was very, I enjoyed this a lot. Good. Thank you. Carolina, what about you? Any, any final thoughts? Um, I mean, I guess I'll just say one thing that pops into my head a lot. is just that I always want to caution people not to confuse skepticism with apathy, because I think that, you know, young folks get a reputation for being apathetic and that couldn't be farther from the truth. And it's just because they are maybe skeptical of the way things have been. That doesn't mean they're apathetic. It means they believe that there's another way. And and they're going to demand that. And I think that's really cool. But something that we all need to keep in our heads that when we hear, you know, something or, or see someone not participating in the way that we expect, like, take a second and wonder if maybe there's, there's something like there's a reason for that. And, and there's actually something to be learned there. So that's something that drives me crazy. And I have to say it. <laughs> yes, thank you. I think we'll just end there. I think there's no way there's no better way out of wrap that up. So Thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This concludes this week's episode of the Live the Legacy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please consider leaving us a review, rating us, or becoming a subscriber. All of those things help other people find our podcast that much easier. A special shout out to Tabik Music for all of the music that you heard on today's episode. Once again, this has been your host, Mo Banks with the Andrew Goodman Foundation. Thank you so much for listening.